Arizona is one of the nation's newest swing states and maybe its most competitive. President Joe Biden's 2020 win in Arizona was the smallest margin of any state in the country. We're working on our fourth straight cycle with a competitive U.S. Senate race, which could be a three-way contest next year. And the no labels and forward parties are making the rounds in Arizona. Tech entrepreneur and former presidential candidate Andrew Yang was in Phoenix last weekend to promote his forward party, just days after the No Labels Party qualified as the newest political party in Arizona. Third parties are nothing new to Arizona or to U.S. politics, but they are often viewed as spoilers by both Democrats and Republicans. Welcome to The Gaggle, a politics podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. I'm Mary Jo Pitzel. I cover state politics for the Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen. I cover national politics. Each week, we explore the pressing political issues facing Arizonans. Today, we're turning our sights to third parties. We're talking to an Illinois professor, an Arizona native, who has studied the effects of third parties and different voting processes. But before we do, Mary Jo, you went to the Forward Party event. Help set the scene for us. What did you see and hear at that matter? Oh, it was uh, quite the crowd on a late Saturday afternoon at the Churchill in downtown Phoenix. It was a real mix of people, um, all different ages, um, ethnicities, um, political leanings, um, a lot of people that were there who were curious. I think a lot of people were also there because there was free beer and food. (laughs) I met one woman who said she was there because they lived across the street and she heard about the event and came over to check it out. So you've talked about people who are curious. There clearly is a desire for some kind of change in the political status quo, not just in Arizona, but across the country. We'll explore that more in a bit. But talk about the appeal of the forward party in particular. What is the sales pitch that they're offering to people who may be open to it? Sure. They issue the extremism of you know, some of the politics that we're seeing now that that come from the two major parties. Um, their appeal is, look, we we stand in the middle. We are for multipartisan, bipartisan solutions. We think there's a lot of agreement on things um, if people can just talk to each other. But we've got to get away from having the, the far right of the Republican Party and the far left of the Democratic Party running things, which is how the current primary system tends to produce candidates. Okay. So if that's the pitch for this, what's the criticism? The the criticism is that, okay, so you're for bipartisanship. That's great. But what do you want to achieve? What's your platform? I ran into um, one gentleman who had come up from Tucson just because he wanted to learn more about the party. And he said, look, I just don't get it. It's like they're all for bipartisanship. That seems to be what they're all about, but they don't have a platform. And it seems that that to him, it was backwards. You, you know, put out your platform, talk about what you stand for and where you would stand on certain issues um, and then see who you can attract. But um, Yang says, look, our our platform is the people. It's it's who who comes here. They will set the tone. So it's a very sort of mushy. Um, imprecise, um, kind of hands-off thing that they feel will grow organically as they grow this party. 
it wasn't just the creation of a political party that they were talking about. There's also something more fundamental in the way that people vote that they were talking about as well, wasn't there? Oh, definitely. Um, Yang has expressed um, support for the ranked choice voting method where candidates would you know, rank the candidates in order of preference. There's a couple of different models uh, for ranked choice voting that have already been used in a few scattered places around the country. And there is a petition drive starting in Arizona soon to bring that to the Arizona ballot in 2024. The Voter Choice Arizona Initiative is aiming to put a measure on next year's ballot that would allow ranked choice voting. And if that were to pass, it would be in effect for the 2026 election cycle, but it would not affect the actual elections in 2024. One of the men that I spoke to um, who had attended said, look, you know, I really like this ranked choice voting position. I don't know that I would join the forward party, but I sure like that they support it. And certainly the organizers of the ranked choice voting citizens initiative, Voter Choice Arizona, they were there and they were saying, look, the only way a third party is going to succeed in a state like Arizona is if you have ranked choice voting because it gives our candidates a more level playing field to compete with the two major parties. The concept can be a little difficult for people to understand, but um, they had a pretty clever mechanism to make that clear to people at their event um, last Saturday. Um, they provided free flights of beer and then they urged people to rank their choices, rank them by which beer was the best, which one came in second, third, and fourth, which reminds me I probably need to find out um, which beverage won. So, Ron, we have Senator Sinema, you know, recently declared an independent. What is the appeal of her independent stance? How does that fit in potentially with um, a third party? As always, Senator Cinema has made this more interesting and something of a riddle than people might be comfortable with. I think the appeal of third parties and certainly now the presence of a new party in Arizona would suggest that there is a pathway for Senator Cinema to use that route if she were so inclined. But I go back to the comments that she made in announcing her switch in the Arizona Republican December, she noted two things in particular that suggest that she might not be eager to glom on to another party either. She said, quote, Arizonans, including many registered as Democrats or Republicans, are eager for leaders who focus on common sense solutions rather than party doctrine. She also said, quote, that's why I have joined the growing number of Arizonans who reject party politics by declaring my independence from the broken partisan system in Washington. Looking at those two statements, it suggests that she may not be looking to run through any party because she would be, in effect, swapping out democratic ideology for the no labels ideology or the Republican or forward party. None of these things are things that she has necessarily embraced in the past, and in December, she seemed to explicitly reject that. But things change, and we will see as the cycle continues to unfurl whether there is some kind of overarching ideology that would be compatible with where she needs to be, or if necessity requires her to gather uh, signatures or other kinds of funding mechanisms through some other party. 
understand the viability of third parties, we turn now to A.J. Simmons. Originally from Arizona, he's the research director at the Center for State Policy and Leadership at the University of Illinois Springfield. A.J., welcome to The Gaggle. Yeah, thank you for having me. Earlier this month, the group No Labels qualified as a political party in Arizona, as they have in a few other states in recent months as well. It's a group heavily funded by a few wealthy donors, some of whom have ties to the financial industry. Last week, Andrew Yang's Forward Party kicked off their efforts to make the ballot here in Arizona as well. What does this say about third-party efforts, and are they going everywhere, or is Arizona getting special attention? Well, both uh, the organizations that you noted there are focused nationally, it seems, right? Um, as you mentioned, the No Labels Party folks have been getting ballot access in different states. I don't know if Forward Party has anywhere yet. They seem to be kind of more operating kind of like a pack to fund moderate candidates, particularly in races that maybe the major parties are throwing resources in. Um, and then, you know, the no party label does seem to be focused on that. Forward Party also seems to be focused on kind of electoral innovations and alternative electoral systems as well. So I don't think it's just uh, an Arizona <laughs> thing. But it just happens, I think they both were happened to have something hit in Arizona recently. And it seems like Secretary of State Fontes might be um, amenable to kind of helping third parties in Arizona as a part of kind of a small D democratic push. So help us understand what is happening across the country. You noted that this is not just an Arizona thing. Help put the third party movement into its broader national context at this moment. Who? That's a big question. <laughs> um, so it seems like uh, you know every you know few years or so there tends to be kind of a, an attempt at a movement like this. Like right, we had a Americans Elect 2012, and we've got these folks here in in 2023 as well. And it seems like that there might be growing discontent. Uh, with the major parties, though, that seems to have been growing for a while and that folks are putting some efforts into doing it versus in the past, kind of, I think, was much smaller and slower, right? Like, Libertarian Party's been around since 70s, right? And they're kind of state by state chipping away at things versus trying to make a big national splash immediately, like perhaps Forward Party is and the No Label Party is trying to do. But it, it seems to be happening and it seems perhaps at least these two major groups to, to be focused on political polarity. The idea that the parties are becoming too polarized and that there is this unrepresented middle in America that third parties could represent. So here in Arizona, President Biden won the state by his narrowest margin anywhere in the country. And in the upcoming 2024 election, we have the possibility of a three-way U.S. Senate race with an independent incumbent on the ballot. So how much does Arizona's competitiveness make it a magnet for third parties? How does that work into the equation for those parties? That's an, an interesting question. And I think perhaps it kind of goes back to trying to understand where parties are, are coming from. You know that Arizona's elections are quite competitive. And there's also, I think, been a bit of a, a drift from the middle on at least one of the parties in Arizona, which kind of creates potentially some room for a third party to to come in again, following the, the, the national um, argument that these parties are making. And so that that may come into play. Plus, Arizona, I think, has a bit of reputation for mavericks and dependence. It's the state that produced, you know, somehow 
John McCain and Mo Udall and Barry Goldwater. All three very different folks, but all three kind of known for at least their independent spirit um, that seems to kind of run through the state. And so I think there's there's some of that. Arizona also has a decent chunk of uh, independence, right? I think roughly about 35, 36% are Republicans, another 35 or so somewhere in there are independents. And then Democrats are actually kind of the smallest um, of the group out there, which again, could create an opportunity for, for third parties out there. But you know, I think it, it, it's an interesting question about the races being competitive, because one of the things we hear about third parties in the context of competitive elections is spoiler word. Right. And I'm going to have some nuance around that word, which I think you folks can appreciate that because uh, I think that might be something that w- worth talking about is that electoral context and electoral systems are going to matter for whether third parties are spoilers. Right. And I'll, I'll note a couple of examples of both and use actually an Arizona example. And we can talk, I think, about the next Senate race there within this context, too. So by electoral context, I kind of, I mean, who the candidates are and how they're funded, kind of what the race looks like, right? Um, The 1992 presidential election is a good example of this. President Clinton versus President Bush versus um, Ross Perot, right? And there's a a bit of a, I think, a narrative, particularly from supporters of President Bush, that Perot was a spoiler. I'm going to disagree with that. And not only I, but the great Dean Lacey, political scientist, disagrees with that. There's two ways you can look at this, but look at the polling for that race. Uh, Prior to uh, Mr. Perot dropping out in the early summer, he was actually in the lead. And third party candidate in that sense was Bill Clinton. Ross Perot drops out in the summer, whose support goes up? Bill Clinton's. And when Ross Perot comes back in in the fall, whose support goes down? Bill Clinton's. These were uh, economic Democrats would be the word that I would use. And, you know, Ross Perot was speaking to them in a different different way, different style than Democrats were, but they were economic Democrats. And so you can look at the polling, you can look at research from Dean Lacey, that Ross Perot wasn't a spoiler in that election for President Bush, because if you pull him out of the equation, President Clinton actually wins by more if you look at who the second choice was for uh, Mr. Perot's supporters. And then actually, you know, within the context of Arizona, if we think about this a bit and say like the 2002 governor's race, uh, Governor Napolitano uh, versus uh, Congressman Matt Salmon, if I'm remembering my races right, I was a little younger then, and then uh, Richard Mahoney, right? Um, that race was incredibly close. Governor Napolitano won by about a percentage point. And I think uh, Richard Mahoney got about 7% of the vote, and he was the former Democratic Secretary of State. I don't know if a reasonable argument could be made that he hurt Congressman Salmon <laughs> in that race, right? And so that's when I when I talk about electoral context, that sort of stuff matters. Of like, who are they they hurting overall? Because there's gonna it's gonna shake out that some of the support of a third party candidate will support one party, some will support the other, and some will continue to support whatever independent because they don't like the major parties, and then some won't vote. And then we have electoral context that's going to matter as well. Uh, sorry, electoral system. And I can use uh, Maine as an example. This Maine in 2018 was the first election they used ranked choice voting. Jared Golden, uh, a Democrat, uh, on the counting of the first choices for everybody, was in second place by percentage point two, something like that. But during the campaign, Golden was, utilized the ranked choice voting system and it went to those independents and said, hey, I may not be your first choice, but I'm a lot closer to what you want than the, than the Republican here. And 
once they started uh, the tabulation using ranked choice voting, that moved Congressman Golden uh, into to first place. So there was no spoiler there for the third parties because they were able to fill out their ballot more fully. And we even see this, according to some work from some journalists in Alaska, that it appears that um, third parties and the ranked choice voting system helped some Republicans in the state legislature in Alaska and helped maintain a Republican control up there as well. And so, you know, the spoiler effect kind of depends. I know the easy one. I know you hear the parties, right? The big parties, like the third party is always a spoiler. Maybe. Depends on the rate of the state of the race, where the support would go, and even the electoral system, I would argue. So given the facts as you have just outlined them on that, that you would take issue with the spoiler effect that is often attributed to these third party runs, why don't we have a more robust third party system here in this country? It's certainly not foreign to other Western style democracies. Why is America still in this two party mode? So one of the things I know is sometimes third parties are spoilers. <laughs> to make sure to add that in there, but that's talking about context. But to the, the question about why um, we have the two major parties and we don't have more parties, uh, there's lots of reasons that folks point to to kind of explain that, right? Folks point to our first past the post electoral system where you can win an election depending on how many candidates are in there as long as you got one more vote to the nearest opponent. And so you can win an election with 20 point, you know, two percent of the vote as long as your closest opponent's got 20.1 percent of the vote and that this like pushes people to try and maximize their vote and the likelihood of it and so they may agree with insert candidate here 90 percent of the time but they think they've only got a 10 percent chance of winning so they move to the major party the lesser two evils argument right that they're like ah about 50 60 percent of what i want is there but they've got a much higher chance to to win some will also point to like a proportional representation, so particularly around legislatures, right? In other countries, if you reach a, a threshold of votes, you at least get like one seat in the legislative branch. Folks also point to electoral laws. Democrats and Republicans uh, tend to pass laws that make it harder <laughs> for third parties to get on the ballot and tend to support electoral systems that will keep them out. Previously, ranked choice voting was utilized in the U.S., and there's some evidence to suggest that the major parties coordinated to remove it because, well, third parties were having too much success utilizing that system. Uh, there's also what we call this stealing the emperor's clothes argument around third parties that a third party might find a lane of a topic that really does hit with voters. We saw this with Ross Perot in 1992. Uh, the deficit, NAFTA in particular, right? He ran on that in 1992, had good success, and potentially would have had better if he didn't drop in and out of the race like it was just a fun hobby to do. Um, but we saw that that issue then was taken up by the Republican Party after that, right? And so we, and we see other issues of that too. Um, FDR, a lot of his policies came from leftist third parties. There's other examples of this. Um, and another argument that's put out there is that from roughly post-World War II, because prior to World War II and a little bit after, we actually did have a healthy amount of third parties, I'll say that. Not too terribly strong, but a healthy amount of third parties. But after World War II, there's kind of a consensus around things and some bipartisanship and like this sense of like American identity and outside threat of the Soviet Union pushed to where there was decreased in polarization. And I bring that up because we're seeing an increase in polarization and here we are seeing potential attempts on third parties again as polarization grows. And then I also point within that same context of roughly 1950-ish to 90s, 
Um, there's kind of a de facto four-party system hidden within our two-party system, right? Liberal Republicans, conservative Democrats, liberal Democrats, conservative Republicans. Uh, they often sorted it out in-house, and you kind of had local brands, right? New England Republicans, right, uh, would be one of them that you knew they were more moderate. They were more focused on the fiscal side of being a Republican than the social side. And so that kind of contained some of it. But as the parties coalesce, perhaps less around the, the hidden four parties into two kind of very distinct parties, that again, opens up space potentially. And then finally, one of the big ones anymore is resources needed to run a political campaign. Even a statewide race is uh, mighty expensive to run, let alone a presidential race. And so I think all of those, sorry, again, nuance, I'm an academic, that's <laughs> what I do, kind of help drive it because and some people can point back at some some of these arguments and say, I don't know if that's it, because like our first past the post elections. Well, Canada uses those, the UK uses those, they have third parties. Um a combination of factors potentially. As you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of people in Arizona who aren't registered with any party. We call them independents. But are they really? Are they really up for grabs or do they tend to hew more to one or the other of the parties and not shift that stance from election to election? That is a wonderful question. It's something uh, um, I, I point out. So I, I do appreciate that is, uh, yeah, roughly um, anywhere, uh, 30 to 40% of the electorate claims to be um, nonpartisan. Quite frankly, they're liars. And I mean, they mean it with good intentions and they may be, and I'll get to some nuance, of, but research around it actually suggests only somewhere around maybe a quarter of third to 40% are actually independence. But there's a, a bit of a difference that does perhaps make them up for grabs because others will point this out and be like, it's nonsense, independence aren't a thing. But uh, some has to do with partisan identity. And and that's something that we're increasingly seeing is that there's this polarization, but there's also this like what we call affective polarization and like negative partisanship where it becomes like part of your identity that you decide that you just you tend to vote Republicans. You are a Republican. You introduce somebody, and that's like one of the you know, five words you say, right, when you introduce someone. Well, there's a difference between that, perhaps, for partisans and then independents that lean, right? That they, okay, they, they, I may fall in my camp of like, I tend to agree with Republicans on things. I tend to, to vote Republicans, but there's a big difference between that and it is an ingrained part of their identity. And so for that, they, they may be up for grabs in the fact that their partisanship hasn't taken over as an important key identity. So some like said will point that out and then say the independents are nonsense. Again, if there's more nuance that's important to highlight here around identity. So one of the most notable races of the 2024 cycle already is at least potentially the Arizona Senate race. Senator Kirsten Cinema, who is an independent and was formerly a Democrat, could run against Representative Ruben Gallego, a Democrat who's already declared in that race. Republicans are expected to field a candidate, and there are a number of names circulating on that front. Talk about what the dynamics are in a possible three-way race and how that may be different in terms of how we get to a winner if it were, say, a Democrat and a Republican as usual. So that, that's a, a big question, and I think one of the things that is going to be important for the the potential of a three-way race out there is who the Republicans nominate, right? Um, are we looking at more moderate Republican or somebody similar perhaps to the slate of candidates that they nominated? You know, in the most recent election, 
because if there's again this middle space out there right that there's a, a republican more to the right and congressman gallego who's more to the left that there might be a bit of space in there for uh senator cinema to to make a convincing argument and perhaps make the argument of like i'm better than the other two <laughs> to the other side right like you may not like me but do you want insert this person here that's on the other side of the political spectrum representing you and so I think that's something that's going to matter for that race. I think whether uh, Senator Cinema runs as a true independent versus the like a label party, right, is going to make ballot access a lot easier. I think um, amount of money perhaps that Senator Cinema is able to raise either for her campaign or for PACs that support her, she's going to need to I think have about fifty million dollars to mount a serious uh, independent campaign out there. And so, like that, that's all gonna like, going to matter, right? Um, and she's gonna need to convince voters, and she already, I think, can a bit of that. She can win an election in Arizona. She can point to twenty years of winning elections in Arizona, increasingly, right, from moving from Arizona legislature all the way through Congress to the the current Senate seat. So I think because that's some of the psychological hurdle too for supporting third party candidates is like, can they win? Well, Senator Cinema can point to a pretty solid track record of winning. Um, I think that's all, what's also might something that may matter out there is endorsements and what the national party does versus the state party. You know, I think uh, what Senator Kelly chooses to do in a, a three-way race may matter. I think Senator Flake could matter out in Arizona. Uh, Senator Romney um, might be able to matter out in Arizona a bit too. Um, so I think that that may matter. I think what the the subjects are for the the race, like what's the hot topics and stuff like that. Th- those things may matter. But I'll make a, an argument that I, I see a lane for Senator Cinema as an independent winning a three way race out there. And I don't think I'm alone. I think there's probably much um, closer eyes on Arizona politics that I think feel the sa- same way about it. It's just a couple different factors go into it. But I don't think that Senator Cinema is going to run if she doesn't think she can win. Do you think that the party architecture will matter for her? Is that sort of a decisive factor in all this? In her announcement in December in the Arizona Republic that she was not going to uh, remain a Democrat, that she was becoming an independent, she used a lot of language that seemed pretty harsh about political parties generally, the Democrats and Republicans specifically, and she struck this tone of independence rather than being beholden to some sort of system superstructure that is, you know, sort of carrying her, does she need to be within a party structure to be able to financially mount a viable campaign? Would that be defeating her brand if she did? So I think the answer is no, (laughs) but it goes back to the $50 million price tag that I mentioned that she needs to be able to raise that somehow to be able to mount a bid because especially being outside the party structure, um, canvassing, recruit, like that sort of stuff is expensive, right? Um, even folks um, just getting the signatures, though, again, if she were to go to the no label party folks, I think signatures would be a lot smaller. Um, so not having a party structure in place would mean that it would take more money to put a structure like that in place. And to the the argument of kind of being very anti-party in her announcement in December, and leaning into the independent label, I think that that potentially could play well, again, in Arizona, given our Africa record, our independent record. And I'm trying to remember that there was a candidate when I was younger out there that 
I think his campaign slogan was like independent like you, right? And that was his attempt to try and market to Arizonans. I think a very similar approach could be useful, um, especially given how important I think independents are to Arizona politics and Arizona voters. And, you know, I think that Senator Sinema could make a reasonable argument to a majority of that third or so of Arizona voters that she can represent them and not represent parties. Um, neither parties popular <laughs> nationally state level like there's this like on like uh, toxicity around the idea of being party but also then we like our party but hate the other party and our party's good and part of our identity that really gives us value and then think the other isn't so this is there's this really weird dynamic at play so i think the messaging is is a reasonable one so what she's got to take right and i think uh, another argument that might be useful for her is that she might be the one of the more see conservative Democrats or liberal Republicans and try to try to make the pitch of she's going to caucus with whoever's in the majority representing Arizona's voice, right? It's the, the old Goldwater argument of I was there when it mattered for Arizona, right? When he was criticized for his attendance in Senate. I think she can make a kind of a similar argument of like, hey, being a, a free agent, being an independent, caucusing with whoever's in power. Well, that makes me kind of unique here that I can do more for Arizona. Uh, might be a, an argument that she she could make there, but it's not going to be a, an easy ask uh, by by any means. But I think it is a doable one. Again, kind of predicated on who is she up against. Well, AJ, thank you so much for sharing your views. We appreciate your time and your insights. If people want to follow your work online or on social media, where can they find you? Uh, best place for, for uh, my work would probably be the Capital Connection blog um, hosted by the University of Illinois Springfield. Uh, I intend to be a little bit more active on there going forward and kind of bringing in academic work to the public scholarship is going to be useful. So that's kind of where I would suggest folks uh, follow me at. I mean, my social media stuff is more interesting if you care about like strong opinions on pro wrestling and like tacos. Um, I don't think that's as useful for folks. Um, but if they're finding more research oriented, but Capital Connection blog posts by the university would be where I would direct folks to. Thank you for your time. Yeah. Thanks for sharing your thoughts. I yeah, appreciate it. Thank you for having me. That wraps up today's episode, Gaggle listeners. Do you have questions about Arizona's political landscape? Maybe you have some thoughts on third parties. Send them our way. You can leave us a voicemail at 602-444-0804 or email us at thegaggle at arizonarepublic.com. And since we are a podcast, we would love to hear your questions. Your message just might make it into one of our future episodes. Be sure to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. You can find me on Twitter at Ronald J. Hansen. That's H A N. S-E-N. And I'm at Mary J. Pitzel. That's P-I-T-Z-L. Today's episode was edited and produced by Amanda Luberto and Kaylee Monahan. Thanks for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week.